Our second Bible reading is John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'd be grateful if you could keep that page open so we can all continue looking at those verses during the sermon. Let's now bow our heads and pray for God's help. Psalm 119 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Father Almighty, we have to admit that by nature we're in the dark and we're simple. So we pray that your words would be unfolded faithfully in this sermon. And as that happens, would you give us light and understanding to help us follow Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen. Last October, my wife Betsy flew to Texas on a work trip. She had to go. It was good for her to go. But her departure was a very big deal in the Howard household. From that Thursday to that Saturday, Solly and I would be left on our own. Solly was then, let me see, he would have been about 17 months old. Betsy knew there was great potential for mayhem and despair, so she made careful preparations. At my request, she printed out a detailed timetable for the days when she would be away, so that whatever time of the day it was, I would know what I was supposed to be doing. For example, at 7.30 a.m. on Friday, I would dress Solly in his green collared shirt and his sailboat overalls. Betsy filled the fridge with all the food Solly and I would need for the days when she, when she would be away. She even bought tickets to the Children's Museum of Manhattan so that Solly and I would have a fun afternoon activity. Everything was taken care of in advance. Life wasn't the same in her absence, but we were well looked after because of her preparations beforehand. Today's Bible passage made me think of Betsy's work trip to Texas last October because in this passage, Jesus is getting everything ready for his own much more significant 
departure. Time after time, Jesus reminds his disciples that he's leaving. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. Verse 28, I am going to the Father. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you. If you put yourself in in the disciples' shoes, each of those quotes must have sounded like the tolling of a mournful bell to them. Jesus was leaving them. How in the world would they cope without his physical presence among them? If I felt daunted by the prospect of Betsy's departure, and believe me, I did, how much more helpless must the disciples have felt at this point in time? But Jesus doesn't want his disciples to collapse in a despairing heap. They have work to do, as we saw in last Sunday's passage, where Jesus spoke of the greater works believers would do in his absence. And so, like Betsy, preparing for her departure, but with much greater eternal significance, Jesus makes advance preparations. He provides for his disciples in three ways. And we'll look at each from now to the end of the sermon. First, the Spirit. The Spirit. Please look down with me to verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's important to note that the Holy Spirit is a he. He will teach you all things, Jesus says in the middle of verse 26. The Holy Spirit isn't a force, some kind of unthinking, unfeeling force. No, he's a person, just as God the Father is a person, just as God the Son is a person. They are the three persons of the Trinity, one God in three persons. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has mentioned the Spirit in his farewell message to the disciples. In last week's, in last week's passage, Jesus told the disciples they would receive another helper, meaning a helper to take his place. And he called that helper the Spirit of Truth. Jesus then told the disciples the Spirit would remain with them and be in them. Isn't it mind-blowing that one of the persons of the Trinity dwells within you if you're trusting in Jesus like those first disciples? Don't you find that astonishing? Jesus knew his followers would be able to carry on without him because he knew they would have the third person of the Trinity living within them, and he would help them. Now, the Spirit helps us in different ways, but in verse 26, Jesus focuses on the Spirit's teaching ministry. He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance 
all that I have said to you. And at this point, we have to remember that Jesus isn't speaking directly to us. He's speaking to the 11 men eating and drinking with him at the Last Supper. Usually what Jesus says to his disciples does apply directly to us. And so we get in the habit of reading what Jesus says to Peter, James and John and the others as if he's speaking directly to us. But sometimes what Jesus says applies to their particular situation or their particular role. And that's what's going on here in verse 26. The 11 disciples having supper with Jesus were all designated apostles, meaning sent ones, messengers, special envoys. A man named Matthias was later appointed to take the place of Judas Iscariot, and that brought the number back to 12, a very fitting number because those 12 were sent primarily to Israel with, it, with its 12 tribes. Last of all, Paul was appointed apostle to the Gentiles, the nations. So 12 sent to Israel, plus Paul sent to the nations. They were a unique group of Christian leaders, one of a kind, one time only. And their unique task, their unique responsibility was to reveal the good news about Jesus in all its detail. Today, we declare the good news that was revealed by the apostles. With all that kept in mind, let's look again at verse 26. But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If you read that verse as if it were spoken directly to you, you might well expect personal instruction from the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. But it is a mistake to read that verse as if it's spoken directly to you. That would definitely be a mistake. Don't take it from me. Take it from the Apostle Peter. Listen to what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He says, I will make every effort so that you will always be able to remember these things. In that verse, Peter gives himself the same job that the Spirit has in verse 26 of our passage. Peter says, I will make every effort so that you will always be able to remember these things. If verse 26 applied directly to you and me, instead of directly to the apostles, we wouldn't need Peter's help. We'd be fine on our own with the Spirit. But verse 26 wasn't spoken directly to us. It was spoken to the apostles, and we do need their help. We need the teaching they preserved for us in the writings of the New Testament, such as Peter's letters. Now let's remember, Jesus is preparing for his departure. He's equipping his followers for life without his physical presence in their midst. The Spirit equips Jesus' followers by revealing Jesus' teaching to the apostles who preserved it for us in Scripture. That is how Jesus equips us through the giving of the Spirit. I'll say that again. The Spirit equips Jesus' followers by revealing Jesus' teaching 
to the apostles who preserved it for us in Scripture. Jesus has left us with all the teaching we need because his Spirit taught the apostles. In the 1990s, there was a trend for Christians to wear a fabric bracelet with the letters WWJD. What would Jesus do? WWJD. I don't think it was wrong for people to wear that bracelet. But in light of what we've seen from verse 26 and 2 Peter chapter 1, you could argue that the bracelet needs another six letters. R-T-B-T-F-O. Read the Bible to find out. What would Jesus do? We need to read the Bible to find out. We need to RTBTFO. By his Spirit, through the apostles, Jesus has given us all the teaching we need. But it doesn't jump into your head the moment you become a Christian. We have a responsibility to be lifelong learners. It's 30 years since I began reading the Bible as a Christian. But these days when I read the Bible, I still find myself saying, huh, I never saw that before now. I never knew that before. I also find myself saying, oh yes, that's right. I I did once know that, but somehow I completely forgot it. We're lifelong learners because there's a lot to learn and also because we're forgetful. But the good news of verse 26 is that through the ministry of the Spirit, Jesus has left us with all the teaching we need. When Betsy left me alone with Solly for three days, she made careful preparations, but I then had to reach out and make the most of what she had prepared. It's like that with the Bible. It's there, it's available, it contains all things, in the words of verse 26, but we need to reach out and benefit from it. One application is to bring the Bible to your big decisions. Big decisions are like those levers that get a train onto different tracks. Change of job, a different city, a new church, dating decisions, choices like those. Move the train of your life onto different tracks. When we face one of those big decisions or others like them, we should ask God to guide us by his Spirit as we read the Spirit's teachings revealed to the apostles and and preserved in Scripture. Can the Spirit guide us without the Bible being involved? Can he give us special insights away from Scripture? Yes, I think he can, and he sometimes does. But it's always a little hard to be sure those insights have come from the Spirit. We gain confidence that God is guiding us when our personal insights mesh with Scripture. Jesus knows how important it is for you to get your big decisions right. And he wants you to make the gold decision instead of the silver or the bronze. And he's given you his teaching through the Spirit in the Bible to guide you. Make the most of that teaching. Read it, learn it, hear it, meditate on it, digest it, and put it into practice. I think of a community group meeting last year when a member of our community group was poised to go through a particular door in his career. 
And the Bible study we did in community group that evening persuaded him not to go through that door. That is how real world the Bible can be for us. Scripture has been given to us so we can know what to do even though Jesus isn't physically among us. Let's move on to the next way in which Jesus prepares his disciples for a world without his physical presence. Shalom. Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Shalom. The Old Testament word for peace is our second heading purely because it starts with S and this sermon is brought to you by the letter S. (laughs) Jesus has already spoken about peace during this farewell discourse. You might remember his words at the start of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Here he returns to the subject of peace. I take it that he repeats himself because he wants the disciples to get the message. This is something he's eager for them to grasp. The time between his departure and his second coming is not meant to be a time of anxiety and fear. Chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Chapter 14, verse 27, second half of the verse, let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. It's as if Jesus is saying, did you miss it the first time? Well, here it is again. Don't be troubled or afraid. One little word that packs a punch in verse 27 is the word my. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Think how peaceful Jesus was throughout his earthly ministry. That's the peace he makes available for us. That's the peace we can have. There's a memorable example of Jesus' peacefulness in Mark chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are out on Lake Galilee in a fishing boat when it starts to get stormy. Jesus is sleeping at the back of the boat He might have been in a deep sleep, unaware of the storm. I like to think he opened up an eye, saw the waves beginning to grow, and closed his eyes and rolled over for another few minutes of sleep. When the disciples shake him awake and say, Teacher, don't don't you care that we're drowning? Stands up in the boat and addresses the wind and the waves, rebuking them, and the storm dies down instantly. What peace! What peace he displayed! Meanwhile, the disciples are still terrified because they are suddenly getting to grips with the person they are in the boat with. Why was Jesus always peaceful? Why was he always peaceful? Surely it was because of his confidence in God's sovereignty, his powerful control over all things, and his confidence in God's omniscience, God's all-knowingness. Look at verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, 
you may believe. Nothing takes God by surprise. He sees everything coming. That is why God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are peaceful. And Jesus' peace can be ours. He has made it available to us. That unexpected job loss, that very troubling diagnosis, that heartbreak out of the blue. God saw it coming. He did not take God by surprise. Through faith in God, his sovereignty, he knows the end from the beginning, his power, you can continue with a peaceful untroubled heart. Go to him for his peace. The third way in which Jesus prepares for his departure is through providing salvation. Salvation. The eleven disciples with Jesus at the Last Supper had spent three years being trained by the Son of God. But without salvation, they would have been helpless after his departure. And as we'll see as we look at verse 28 to the end, we'll see just how helpless they would have been and how helpless we would be without salvation. We'll start with the last two verses, verses 30 and 31, before we circle back to verse 28. I'll read from verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. The ruler of this world is coming. Imagine being one of the eleven disciples around the supper table, listening to Jesus say those words, hearing the tone of his voice, looking at the expression on his face, the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus is talking about the devil. It must have been one of those times when the temperature in the room drops 10 degrees in an instant. This isn't the first time Jesus has spoken about the ruler of the world. Shortly before the Last Supper, Jesus said, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. That's John 12, verse 31. In the very next verse, Jesus speaks about his death. The connection is clear. The ruler of this world, the devil, will be driven out through Jesus' death. Jesus' death and resurrection will be the basis for Satan's expulsion when that expulsion finally happens. If you're listening this morning as someone who's not yet following Jesus, thank you very much for giving up your time to listen. It would surprise me if you think of the devil as a figure of fun, a Halloween costume. But Jesus treats the devil as a real spiritual being and the devil's presence in this world explains many things that would otherwise be hard to explain. 
problems in the world that should be solvable that humans have never solved. War, hunger, child abuse, oppression, genocide. We have problems like those in this world because there's a spiritual being in the world with the power to tempt humans to do things we know should never be done. So if you're listening as a non-Christian, please at least for the rest of this sermon, try switching the devil out of comic sans and into a more sensible mental font, if you see what I mean. As the plates are being cleared at the end of the Last Supper, Jesus says the ruler of this world is coming. Battle is about to commence and it will happen at the cross. Jesus says of the devil at the end of verse 30, he has no claim on me. And yet then he immediately says, but it's not a straightforward, he has no claim on me, period. There's a but, which signals that the devil will have some kind of claim on Jesus. And because of where we stand in salvation history, we know exactly what Jesus means. Even though he was sinless, and so the devil had no claim on him, he took upon himself the sins of others, which meant the devil did have a claim on him as the bearer of our sin during those hours when Jesus hung on the cross. The devil has a claim on all of us because we all fall short. We all give way at one time or another to evil temptations. As human beings in our natural state, the devil has a claim on all of us. But Jesus, the one human the devil didn't have a claim on, stood in for us, paying the punishment price for us. He stood in for us so that anyone who trusts in him would be released from the devil's eternal claim. Jesus received the devil's worst on the cross so that we could receive the Father's best. Please trust in Jesus if you haven't yet done so. Put your trust in him. You need to receive Jesus and his salvation personally. You need to say yes to Jesus and his salvation in order to be released from the devil's eternal claim. What a salvation. If you are a Christian here today, just think how helpless you would be without that salvation. It's the pre-departure preparation that makes the other preparations meaningful, the spirit-given revelation, and the shalom that we were thinking about earlier. They only have meaning because Jesus went into battle with the devil at the cross and rose victorious on the last day, on the third day. One thing to notice before we close is Jesus' motivation in these verses. Look again at the end of verse 30. He has no claim on me, the devil, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So that the world may know that I love the Father. 
There are other Bible verses that speak of Jesus' love for us as something that drew him to his death. But here Jesus speaks about his love for the Father as he felt the ruler of this world approaching He looked with eyes of love to his Father in heaven and said, Your will be done. It's similar in verse 28, where Jesus says of his departure, If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus was looking forward to returning to the Father's side. He knew he had to die on the cross to get back to the Father. He had to go through the cross to get back to the Father. And so out of love for the Father, he went to the cross. Jesus' loving obedience means we can be sure he finished the work he was sent to do. Jesus was sent down into the world by the Father to save helpless people like you and me. And we know that he finished that work because he was obedient to the end out of love for the Father. When it comes to salvation, Jesus has left us fully taken care of, fully looked after. We shouldn't think that Jesus left us with a a bit of salvation that we still have to earn. No, as he said on the cross, it is finished. And our role is to depend on what he has already done. The Spirit, shalom, peace, and salvation. When Jesus departed from this world, he did not leave his people in a helpless state. He left us with everything we need before we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son into this world to be obedient to you here with the outcome of salvation for us. Thank you for the preparations he made before his departure, for the Spirit revealing Jesus' teachings to the apostles who preserved it for us. We thank you for the peace Jesus gives us, his own peace. Help us to take hold of it and enjoy it. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for anyone listening, not yet following Jesus, weighing up everything they have heard, please open their eyes to the glory of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.